Reading is just a habit you gotta form in all of life. Books don't change people's sentences. Reading good, solid, reformed, Puritan literature, reading especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, good day and welcome to another episode of the Reformers Bookcast, a podcast put on by Reformers Bookshop. My name's Tom Eglinton, the manager here at Reformers, and we're, we're into our third season of the podcast. You can catch up on previous episodes at reformers.com.au forward slash bookcast. And today we are joined by a special guest, Mark Dever. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Um, do you ever have guests that aren't special? Um, no. Uh, they're always ah, special. Well, thank you, then. That is a thank good point. Thank you, then. But, uh, you- no, I'm just appreciating it. <laughs> we only invite special people on. That's why. Excellent. And I trust that you're the special host. <laughs> uh, now, Mark, you're, uh, why, don't you, why don't you introduce yourself for any anyone who doesn't know of you? Oh, Tom, I wouldn't want to take that joy away from you, brother. Oh, it's, it's the way that we do things on this podcast. Even for special guests? You... <laughs> all right, all right. I'll make it easier on you. I was born in 1960 in America, and I'm still there. Okay. I'm the pastor of the Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where I've been since 1994. That's pretty much it. I'm married and have two adult children and a grandchild. Fantastic. Now, um, so you're a pastor of a church. How did you uh, enter into the ministry? Did you... Did you always want to go? Into I prepared to teach uh, at the university or seminary level, and I felt subjectively called into pastoring this church. And so I came and pastored this church. Very good. So straight out of school, you went into seminary and then into ministry. Well, straight out of school, but I've been in school for a long time. So I was in my 30s when I left school, Okay, uh, as you put it. And, uh, and I'd been pastoring, I'd been the associate pastor of a church in England for uh, four years before I came here. Right. And now you're you're known um, for your work around Nine Marks Ministries, which has sort of grown out of Capitol Hill. Now, Tom, you flatter me. I didn't think Australians were given to flattery. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm known. Well, I know you from your work from Nine Marks Ministries. You so. you run a bookshop. <laughs> you run maybe the only reformed bookshop in all of Australia. Oh well. So it's true, Tom. I'm known to you. That's right. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we might, this this we might get is going through well, this interview. Yeah. We might get there. Um, so I'm uh, told I'm a difficult interview. <laughs> Maybe you didn't know this before you asked me. I should do more research. I know you I'm, should. We might have to change the special guest status. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Keep going. Okay. Um, now, Nine Marks, what, I, what I'm interested in is, so Nine Marks is all, all around your book, which is into its fourth yeah. edition we established um, earlier. That's right. And Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. What I'm interested in is, when did you realize that church was something that's critical to uh, the Christian life? Uh, I'm not sure. I think probably very early on in my Christian life. Uh, I was going to, I think, a fairly, a, a somewhat healthy church, a Baptist church, uh, where I grew up in Kentucky, in a small town, and uh, I became aware of that church having officially 3,000 members, uh, when there were about 600 people who were attending, and I think even as a teenager and a young con, 
convert that struck my my interest. I also was growing spiritually, and it didn't seem to me that most people there in the church were that interested in spiritual things, which struck me as strange. And so I, I think I, I think some discontinuities were obvious to me very early on and drew my interest. Right. And then, but I don't, I don't think I became that's, that's in the 1970s. I don't think I became really focused on the church in the way I am now until after I became the pastor of this church in the 1990s. Oh, really? I think it was actually pastoring this church that not brought me to the conclusions that I have because I'd helped to start a church uh, in the Boston area 10 years earlier in, in the mid eighties. Um, but then uh, I had already had the same conclusions that I had in the nineties and, and now that you see in nine marks of a healthy church. But I don't think I was uh, perhaps aware of how important all of that was in the way I quickly became, I think as pastor of a local church. Okay. And so, cause you did a PhD in ecclesiastical history, right? The, the history of the church. Yeah. I did a PhD on Richard Sibbs, okay. yeah, the Anglican Puritan. Right. Um, okay. So, why is the church important then? We've established that you you think it is. Why is it important? No, yeah. uh, because Jesus established it. We see in Matthew sixteen and eighteen and twenty eight, and He promised to be with us. He promised that we would uh, have spiritual victory over even the gates of hell. Mm. So it's very much His idea of how we would follow Him. Yep, and so um, when you say we would have victory. I think often these days we hear things like that and saying, oh, yeah, I, I will have victory. That's what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, if you're a Christian, I am saying that, but I'm saying something much more than that in that uh, his God's people, God's church will have victory. Mm. And the, the current manifestation of that is in local churches. Yep. Uh, and so I think there's a there can be a tendency for people to... Um, not like church, not want to be a part of a church, or to be loosely attached to a church, um, and sort mm-hmm. of, well, I'll chop and change when I want to. Um, yeah, I read in one of your books um, that you said, "Why don't you go to a church for eighty years, and then you will learn what it is to be a Christian?" Um, where, where's that? Where's that idea coming from? What's the value? I don't of know. Commitment? I think that seems like a silly thing to have said. Did I really say that? I think so. Well, I'd like you to find that to me. Send it to me in an email. I'll change that in the, in the next edition. I don't know what what good thing did you impute to my meaning of that. Well, I, I think what you were saying was that it, you want to commit to a church. Uh, That's you, true. And and so, um, where what's the value of committing to a body of believers, even though you're going to find pretty quickly um, that they're a bunch of sinners and hypocrites. Yeah, I think we keep relating to the same sinners, uh, the, the same set of redeemed sinners, repenting sinners, uh, indwelt by the same spirit that we're indwelt with, then they will have a familiarity with us and we with them that will help us make us morally visible to each other and to ourselves. And I think that's useful for us if we really want to grow in Christ. So morally and visible. In, in the fruit so- of the spirit. So you're talking about you you actually want to be able to see other people's sins and you want people to be able to see your sins. That's right. The last thing you want to do with a sin is hide it. Mm. And so um, by getting to know people, we uh, expose us, our sins to each other and are able to 
uh, assist each other and forgive each other and practice yeah, those that's things. That's right. By disciplining yourself to relate honestly and openly, transparently with people. So Tom, believe it or not, I've related to you in a way I would relate to if I'd known you for years. It may seem that way. It may just feel to you at six 30 in the morning and everything's confusing right now, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do as a discipline in my life. And while it may be enjoyable to some, not enjoyable for others, maybe entertaining, it, there's a spiritual purpose in it. And that spiritual purpose uh, is trying to not uh, manufacture a sort of image in front of you that I then try to service. Okay. So you're wanting to be um, who you, you're wanting to be the authentic Mark Dever. Yeah. Not so that you will worship me or love me but just so that you'll know me and be able to speak accurately and, and, you know, help use me for the good that I can do and not ask things that I wouldn't be helpful for and maybe help me improve in ways. Yeah. And that's what we want to see in happening in the local church as we minister to each other. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's good. Uh, now the fruit, the fruit inspector won't do you any good if he just comes and flatters you for your vineyard when really your vineyards, you know, in terrible shape, yep. he'll do you good if he gives you an accurate representation of what's going on. And that's what we want to see happen in our local churches and our consistency of relationship and honesty and transparency in those relationships enables that to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Now let, let's talk about um, nine marks. Uh, where did, where did you get the idea of having nine marks of a healthy church? I, I think you're, you're wanting to see healthy churches and that's kind of the point of the book. Um, but what, where did you get the idea of these nine marks and what were you trying to do by, uh, by bringing about, bringing to light these nine marks that you've identified? If you read the book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, you'll actually see the answer to that question. Uh, I have an appendix where I give the original letter I wrote in 1991 when I was living in England hmm. to the leaders of the church back in the Boston area when they told me they were just going to ask the local denominational officials for a pastor because they were tired of having this rotating door of uh, pastors just there for a year or two from the seminary. And so when I conceived of them just grabbing a normal average pastor from our denomination, I thought, oh, no, you need to realize you've been created to be a weird church in a number of ways, distinct from them. Let me just list out what these are. And so those nine things that I listed out uh, were the things that I wrote about later or that I preached about first uh, in this uh, book, Nine Marks Healthy Church, in the sermon series I did that the book then came from. But I first laid it out in a letter, which you can read in an appendix in Nine Marks Valley Church, the book. Yep. Uh, and so you've just come up with them based on your concepts of how the, how this church you planted in Boston was was sort of designed. Yeah, and I think it, it playing into that was my assumption of what would not be normal and expected by your average Baptist pastor in. Uh, the late 1980s in America. Yeah. Now, out of interest, have you found that one one or two of those are particularly difficult for people to get their heads around? Are there any that stand out as being particularly um, contentious? Yeah, I, I think the hardest one for people to get generally is probably church discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems to not matter where I go in the world. There are always reasons why, well, I know you can do that in America, but you can't do that here. That's, mm. you know, in, in South Africa, you know, we, 
we, we can't do it for this reason. And uh, Hawaii, Hawaii, we can't do it because of the Aloha culture. And, and in Germany, we can't do it for this reason. And in East Asia, we can't do it because of honor shame culture. And I mean, we just go on and on. Everybody has their reasons why they can't do church discipline. So I think I've, I've seen that over the years. That's, that's interesting because I think it was in, um, in the church, the gospel made visible that you talk about how, as church, do you always have that there, or did you just place it there because you knew this interview was coming? Strategically out? placed, strategically placed. Yeah, that means you don't always have it there. That's correct. What's normally there? <laughs> well, actually, this is a new set. So, what will normally be there is whoever I'm interviewing their books. <laughs> so, this is just a set. This is not even your real place. Well, it is in the bookshop, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a set. And do you sell that book? Yeah. And just, Does anybody ever buy that book? Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> like, did you sell a copy of that book in the last month? To myself to read it, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think I'm feeling like less and less of a special guest every minute that goes by. Tom. We'll hopefully sell some copies after this conversation. So, oh, my uh, that's, goodness. That's kind of the point. Anyway, in that book... Um, yeah. you point out that... Andrew, you know you can edit this, don't you? <laughs> There's no editing. We're just going to release the whole thing. Um, Excellent. People will get the real marked ever. They'll see how Excellent. bad you are to interview. So the previous it's people, so true. you know, future so, people so who people interview come you can come and, that's, right. that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, in that book, you talk about, I think, uh, how a lack of church discipline led to the um, decline of churches somewhere at some point. I can't remember the details. But uh, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned that church discipline is one that's that's hard for people to grapple with when you also connect it with something that's actually critical to maintaining a, a long-term healthy church. Yeah, if, if you... If you can put into the church by, you know, baptism, membership, but you can never pull out except by death or people choosing to move. Well, then there's a little bit of a problem because what happens in cases like the ones Jesus presents in Matthew 18 or the one Paul references in Corinth and first Corinthians five. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I presume people find it difficult to, to enact church discipline because it's confrontational. It's it's a challenging thing to do. Um, yeah. Do you have any any? I guess it can get you involved in threats of lawsuits. Uh, it's just it's unpleasant, uh, depending on how it's received. Mm. Yeah. And plus, some people have uh, experiences of uh, abusive practices of church discipline. Yeah. And those often will surface, and those uh, certainly can be abusive. So, the abuses of authority are always terrible. They're not an argument against authority itself mm. and authority being good. Mm. Um, do you think also it might be that that people view church discipline as the uh, the last stage of church discipline? Church discipline is always excommunication, yeah. but actually in, yeah. scripturally there's multiple stages of church discipline. And That's right. There, there's, there's formative and corrective Um. Uh, and certainly in the formative and corrective in the formative and corrective, the formative is the positive teaching mm -hmm. and uh, the corrective is the changing uh, saying you need to 
stop doing something and start doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly in my experience, I've found that um, members of a church, when, when taught correctly, will start to discipline each other um, in, in that Matthew 18 sense. And so, sure. Well, or when, when uh, Aquila and Priscilla talk to Apollos, yep. that's a form of church discipline. That's a conversation. They're hoping to correct and supplement Apollos's understanding. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and so now, you, so you wrote the book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and then this ministry of Nine Marks has been born out of it. Can you tell us a bit about how that came to be? Yeah, that letter was then reprinted in that I wrote initially to that church back in, I think, 91. Uh, I chopped up and used in our church newsletter that we had back in the 90s when I came, and I did a little article on each one of those marks of a healthy church. Uh, and then uh, Matt Schmucker suggested we pull them together. Uh, Matt, a brother here in our church, suggested we pull them together into a booklet and publish it. Uh, and so we had them published, and then uh, some circumstances came about where we wanted it back from the publisher, so we could publish it ourselves, and we did, and we raised money and started putting it in seminarians' mailboxes at seminaries all around the United States mm. and um, trying to get these basic ideas out there. So, you know, and then that that's what kicked off uh, what we now call Nine Marks. And you uh, then built out and, and you've published more books uh, under the Nine Marks banner. There must be dozens of yeah, them I mean, we, across different series. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, when you say you have, I understand what you mean. I'm I'm the pastor of the Capitol Hill Baptist Church. That's what I give my time to doing. I'm working right now on services coming up and I'm just oh, in the middle good. of that. There, there are employees of Nine Marks. Uh, there are people like Ryan Townsend, who's the executive director mm-hmm. And Jonathan Lehman, who's the editorial director, uh, they're the ones who are thinking up all those books and, you know, getting those authors lined up. And so I, I don't have a lot to do with that. Yep. And actually, uh, that's something I'm, I have admired about um, what what you have done from afar. Not that I know a whole lot about it, but I've, I've noticed that you, uh, you've raised up so many godly men in Capitol Hill Baptist. Uh, how did you do that? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, theologically, Tom, we, we know that the Lord has raised them up, and, and you, you know that, but I, I don't say that just to be pedantic. I just say that, like, we have to remember that. I think yeah. a brother can be very faithful and yet be in a place where he just does not see mm. other leaders raised up. And, and I have pastors talk to me about this from time to time, and I'm, I'm as puzzled, puzzled as they are. I, I, you know, it's, it's in God's sovereignty. It's in his kindness. We know from Ephesians 4 that pastors are gifts that Christ gives to his church. We can't require the Lord to give us gifts. But yes, he has given us here at Capitol Hill uh, gifts in full number. And uh, it seems like running over. Uh, and in, in, in so far as we can see how that's related to what we do, you would read about that, I think, in the little uh, blue book I wrote in that Building Healthy Church series called Discipling. That's my best attempt to try to answer that question of what can you do to sort of build a culture in a church where you are all encouraged to care for each other spiritually and to have an affectionate, watchful care over each other, as we say in our own church's covenant, and see from that uh, the regular practice of 
helping someone else spiritually. And it's not surprising that as people develop that as a skill, you begin to see men grow up who teach God's word well publicly and and are able to take on leadership in churches. So what you're saying there is that it it, it wasn't uh, you doing some things. It was actually uh, a whole bunch of people in your church discipling each other. And as that occurred, people were raised up. Yeah. I uh, just recently read a memoir of our church's second pastor. Uh, He was uh, writing back in 1881, and he was writing about a trip he had taken to London in 1875 and 76, when he was at the time 71 years old. And he commented on Spurgeon's preaching. He went to hear Spurgeon preach and how Spurgeon was a powerful preacher, but not as powerful, he felt, as the congregation was. And it was the congregation that he was really impressed with. He said, as you walk to the tabernacle, you would just see lots of members getting strangers and bringing them to the service. And he said the power of the tabernacle seemed to be in its congregation more even than in its preacher. That's amazing. Yeah. How wonderful. Um, Now, I want to just change gears a little bit uh, and talk a bit about our present situation uh here in australia we're we're going through lockdowns and and uh that's meant no church for periods of time um and restrictions on church attendance and i imagine we'll be doing this for months and months to come it seems to be the way these days uh how has your church in capitol hill managed restrictions i I saw you there was a nice article that nine marks wrote around churches in capitol hill during the spanish flu um, but how, how have you worked this out in your church? Uh, we, in March of 2020, when the government asked us to not meet because of the pandemic, we, as elders, led the church to not meet. Uh, we did that quickly and unanimously. Um, I led the elders to not try to replicate that meeting by having, you know, calls over Zoom or something like that. Mm. So instead, we just used those uh, really the rest of March and all of April and all of May as a time of separation, taking it as a kind of discipline of the Lord, Mm. like when he lays aside individuals of us on the sickbed. Um, We don't try to replicate the benefits of fellowship. We trust the Lord will provide for us what we need in this season, and we, we spend time in prayer. We try to receive it from his hand providentially and and try to be reflective and ask what we can learn from it. So I would write a daily letter to them uh, on email um, briefly uh, about various matters. And then starting in uh, June, the second Sunday in June of 2020, we were able to meet outdoors uh, across the river over in Virginia. So our congregation began about a year of meeting variously outdoors in Virginia in two different locations and then indoors during the, uh, and then outdoors here in DC after we sort of won a court case where we sued the government Mm -hmm. and then uh, meeting in a large church out in Maryland where we could meet indoors, but socially distanced and then back outdoors here again in uh, DC uh, when the weather was improving again in the spring. And then we were able to meet indoors in our building uh, again uh, with some combination of seating outdoors and uh, socially distanced seating in part of the part of the area, 
uh, probably, I think we started that again in May of this year. So it's been, every month has had its own challenges, but we've, we've resisted meeting together unless, uh, as a church, unless we could all meet together. We, we've had secondary meetings like prayer meetings and Bible studies that we don't require people to be at, that we've had those on Zoom. People are able to tune in and, and we'll, we'll have, however many we can have in person, we would have together for those purposes. But for actually the gathering of the church as the church, uh, we would not do that until we could all meet. Now, um, talk me through a couple of things there. Um, yeah. Why why did you refuse to do uh, Zoom Zoom Church as we're calling it? Um, what what is it about that that you you didn't like? Uh, I'm thankful for the technology we're we're using it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people may think that you're sitting actually in my study in Washington D.C. Very deceptive, isn't but it? In, but in fact, you've, you've not done that. You've just done it, I guess, the cheaper way. You, you stay there and you didn't fly me over. You've left me here. Um, so I'm appreciative of this kind of technology, but I'm, I'm aware of how the mere ability to see each other and talk like we're doing right now mm. is not as fully orbed as physically meeting. And I'm, I'm assuming there are all kinds of aspects of that, even that I don't fully understand, but I know that's what we're commanded to do in scripture. We're commanded to gather in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. So I don't want to present something that's less than that as a substitute for that. Okay. Uh, a letter is not a substitute for conversation. Um, a, a movie is not a substitute for uh, dinner together. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I appreciate what this can do, but I'm concerned, particularly in our very internet online age, that we would mistake the virtual for the real. Mm. So it was a matter of prudence, maybe principle, but certainly prudence uh, that led me to think, let's, let's not do this. Let's wait until we can meet. Now, when it comes to particular matters, let's say like the Lord's Supper or exercising the keys of the church and taking people into membership or putting them out, uh, that I would think is limited to when the church can gather, and I would reason that from First Corinthians chapter eleven and and uh, how Paul talks about the those who are wrongly rushing ahead in taking the Lord's Supper and how they have homes they can stay and feast in, and uh, the Lord's Supper is not something that you can take individually. It's it's something you can only do when you're assembled as a church, and we don't understand we can virtually assemble as a church. The only way we can biblically assemble is Really, so it is interesting me to to me that a lot of the language I see being used suggests that people are assuming that um, Zoom Church is a gathering. We're you know, we're all on the same call. Uh, so what is it about the physical presence that makes a difference? Makes a difference. I can see things you don't mean me to see. I hear things you don't mean me to hear. I see your interactions. There's just a thousand things. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that is helpful. And I think even like I've preached to a camera a few times. There, there, there's a commitment to all get up and go and be at the same place at the yeah. same time. I mean, we could, we could get a whiteboard and just fill it up with the differences between a virtual meeting for which we can be thankful and what an actual meeting of a church is. Yeah, that's good. And so you, you as a church were pushing as hard as you can in whatever way you can to, to meet physically. Um, yeah. Well, so we agreed to do what the government wanted us to do when we thought this was going to be like a Spanish flu three-week kind of deal. Yeah. 
when we realized that the threat seems far lower and the cost they were exacting was far higher, mm. we became far less happy with our government's solutions for the church. And uh, our congregation might have various opinions about the government's dealing with other businesses or with the economy. That's really for the government. Uh, that's not us as a church. Individuals in our church will have ideas about it, particularly given what they do in, in their daily day jobs during the week. But as a church, our concern was what the government was uh, doing with our ability to meet or not meet. Yeah. And then secondly, you mentioned that um, that you saw it as a time of discipline from the Lord. Um, that's also something that's, that's concerned me. It's It seemed that maybe the church broadly has missed the point that, that plagues and, and catastrophes are sent from the Lord to um, discipline first and foremost his people, but also a nation. Um, how, can, how can we encourage uh, repentance and, and mourning uh, in, in light of the recent situation? Well, I think in a fallen world, there's no one who doesn't have disappointments. Mm. So everyone has disappointments in life. But in America, we have such good government that it rarely crosses the path of the average citizen in a way that contradicts our desires. Our government is largely uh, a summary of how we want to live. And so unlike our brothers and sisters in Egypt or China or Saudi Arabia, uh, or India with anti-conversion laws. I mean, it just in so many places around the world, the government is far more restrictive on Christians than what we know here in the United States. So I think we're just fairly unaccustomed to having a law or regulation or recommendation or requirement or mandate, but many nouns and verbs can be used about this, but having the government tell us uh, that they want us to live in a certain way that we just don't want to. And that's been compounded in difficulty by the fact that there are different people in our congregation who actually some agree with the government more and some disagree with the government more. And some of those who agree with the government more see even more principle involved in it. And some who disagree more see even more principle involved in their disagreement. So even the agreements and the disagreements are not all the same. Mm -hmm. So it just, it becomes a very complicated thing, uh, challenge for us pastorally to try to help think through. And it's not, it's not easy for us as a church to, uh, to deal with it because we're just not accustomed to living with the government in any way, showing hostility to what our overt ends are as Christians. Mm. Yep. Well, look, uh, it's, it's been great chatting i think we're, we're out of time um well tom you're using that in the past tense as if we're done well we're almost done that's <laughs> well it feels like we're just getting into the conversation i know i know i know but we have a limited time that we can deal with it's very sad i'm i'm a special guest though i know you are maybe we'll have you back someday well thanks man i think you're a very special host <laughs> thank you well, look, Mark, it's you know, I, I went I went to Cambridge. Did I mention that? And uh, at Cambridge, they have a, a first class degree, uh, a second class degree. Uh, so a first, a second, and then they have a special. Oh, and the special, the Americans always think, oh, that's really good. Actually, a special is really, really bad. <laughs> but they've just given you a degree anyway. I appreciated being your special guest today, brother. Thank you, Mark. And uh, it's been helpful. I hope it encourages people to 
pick up some of the nine marks material and nine marks of a healthy church to find a healthy church uh, to build on their current church and make it more healthy. Um, and I thank you for your work and the work of Nine Marks Ministries and, and the men around you in, in helping. Tom, us. thanks for your work in the bookstore there. I hope that that bookshop will grow in its ministry and it, whether it's a bookstore or shop or room, it will expand. <laughs> thanks, Mark. And you've been listening to the Reformers Bookcast. Uh, tune in next time.